Well, here comes Christmas, everybody. Really? It's like, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going, me, really? It's like, is, are we there already? Yeah, we are. And um, I'm very aware that uh, Christmas time, it's all about Christmas time. Uh, so I really wanted to intentionally, as part of our series on um, bringing important passages of Scripture and diving into there, really uh, bring forward that which we try and do haphazardly in January and to try and organise the priorities of our life and do resolutions. And so 2023 is going to be different. So what I'd like to do is just give the opportunity to uh, let Scripture speak into that and let us ruminate on that uh, over time and, and consider the priorities that Scripture brings us about our purpose for life and what matters and really um, dwell on them. Uh, I wonder how many summers <laughs> I wonder how many summers you've lived through. Mine are clocking up. The odometer's starting to go around and uh, I'm told it's not the age, it's the mileage that matters, but I'll tell you, uh, it's starting to feel all of my 59 years and... Um, I feel like in my heart I'm ready to just go into second gear, but, but the bod is starting to show the miles. Um, and as you consider going through another summer, I mean, some of the things in our life we can control, some we can't. We can't control things like politics and COVID and other people's choices and all those sorts of things. But we can control some very important things, our, our relationship with God, our, the way we treat people regardless of how they treat us, uh, our priorities in life and so on. And so this is a good time for us to consider that. So what I'd like to do today is start to raise over probably two weekends. Next week, I want to carry on in the same sort of theme from the same uh, passage coming out of this. But today, it's Ephesians 3. Um, I'm going to bounce from verse 10 to verse sort of 21, if you've got your, got your apps open there. So they can probably reassess. So to preface that as you're opening that up, Paul begins um, this passage in verse 16. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, for this reason. And uh, next week, we're going to look at the following on passage in chapter 4. But he takes a real break here. He says, because of what I've just said to you, for this reason, I'm praying. It's like all that's come. And, and it's important for us to know the context and not take bits of Scripture out and just overlay them into whatever we want them to say. We've got to understand. And one of my roles as, as the minister here is to understand the theologians call them things called meta-narratives, the, the, the arc of God's story in redemption and salvation and kingdom, all those threads. So I'm sort of paid to know that stuff. And so what I know about this passage is when he says, for this reason, there is actually a very good reason why he's, why he's praying. Because he's praying for church at Ephesus. And this is after this church at Ephesus has been through uh, a city-wide revival. There's been chaos there's been salvation, there's been riots, there's been uh, Paul thrown in jail and let loose. All these sorts of things have gone on, but this city has gotten hold of the gospel. And what I love about Ephesus, for me, it's the poster child of what church can look like in our modern day. Because he doesn't call this the church um, at this street or that street. It's like he wouldn't write a letter to us and say the church at Kenmore and the church at Turinga and the church at, at 17 Mile Rocks. It's no, the church in Brisbane, the church. It's that um, beautiful umbrella that there's no such thing in Paul's mind as denominations and, and fragmentation and, and all these old structures that we have now. He's saying, no, all you God people in Brisbane, I'm praying for all of you. And there's a lot at stake because this, this mob have started well. And in Brisbane, there's a whole bunch of churches started really well, say 40, 50 years ago. It's fascinating. And a lot of them are at the, in the life cycle, if you understand life cycles of organisations, churches follow them as well. In the life cycle, they're, 
they're sort of ready for a bit of reinvention. And Paul knew where this church was at because if they didn't get what he's talking about for this reason, then they were going to go down the life cycle into obscurity and to redundance and just start doing the very best in their own strength to behave like a godly church rather than have the love that fueled them in the beginning. And you'll be very aware in Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus talks about this very church that Paul's prayed for. So we've seen revival, we've seen Paul pray for something, and then we've seen what happens later and how it didn't quite land. And he said, what happened to you guys? You started so well. Where's that love gone? I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're just lukewarm. Consider how far you have fallen from this love. So this is the context. We know how this story ends for these guys. We don't know how the story ends for us. But I'm praying that today this same prayer, this same purpose that forced this man to his knees to pray is a prayer that we understand. Because after this in Ephesians 4, 1, he says, live your life in a, in a way that's worthy of this calling that you've received. And he's not placing an obligation or guilt. He's just saying, there's a calling on your life. Let your life reflect that. Give yourself time to ruminate on this. So what did he say? What is this reason? Well, it's in verse 10. And he says, God's intent, in, this, in your scripture it'll say his intent, but I'm starting at, at verse 10. God's intent was that now through the church, this us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I could literally preach two or three weeks just on that. God's intent. Ever want to know what God's will is? It, it does not get any more crystal clear than that. His intent, his will for all of us as his church is that the manifold wisdom of God, and I want to talk about what that word manifold means because it's, it's quite specific. The manifold wisdom of God is made known not just to the city of Brisbane, but to all these observers out there in the spiritual realm, angels, demons, the whole lot, that we would show to them the wisdom, the glory of who God is. Because what they think matters, what's going on up there matters, because there was an eternal question that was asked before Adam fell. Is God enough? We just sang about it. Is, is he enough? Or does humanity, a created you know, order that we came into, is God enough for them or will they choose something else? So if Satan comes down, I'll ask the question, did God really say? No, he doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to rely on him. He, he, he doesn't want you to become like him. And this question rattles out. It's the same question that was asked um, in the courts of heaven, in the book of Job. This guy only praises you because look at all he's got. What if you didn't look like you was enough? What if your provision wasn't coming that way? Would he still praise you? God, okay, let's find out whether I'm enough or not. It's the same question when Jesus talks to the apostles, and I'm, I'm winging it now, I've gone right off script already. God help this message. It's that same question with the disciples at the Last Supper. And Jesus says, you know, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. What does that mean? He's sorting out who believes whether God is enough or not. It's the same question. And he's asking it today of all of us. Is God enough or do you need a house? Is God enough or do you need a better pay rise? Is God enough or do you need a spouse? What is, is God enough? That's the question that's still being asked up there. And we get the honor and the privilege with these breaths that we take in the season that we have to answer that question. 
Whoo! I'm excited about that. But I understand not all of us get excited about that. His intent was that now through the church, the wisdom of God would be made known to these rulers according to his eternal purpose. God's plan has never changed. The redemptive threads that, that from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21, the same tree that's in Revelation in Genesis 1 is in Revelation at the end. The tree of life is there. And the whole book in between is a story between two trees. It's really one tree seen two times. Asking that one question, his eternal purpose, that it be accomplished through us and we get a chance to do something that's actually worth doing. So he uses these words, intent and internal purpose, that speak of God's eternal plan and priorities. What's the implication of this for us? Nothing else, regardless of what we came in with, with the priorities in our life, nothing else is more important than that. Nothing else. It's eternal. It's significant. It's known. And the church displays these multifaceted, profound ways. That's what the manifold wisdom means, the multifaceted, profound ways of God. What are these profound ways? That he's good, that he's sufficient, that he's enough, that he's our provider. See, manifold is an interesting word. If you're an engineer um, type or a motor mechanic or something like that, you'll hear that word and go, manifold? I don't know exactly what manifold means. Manifold means what starts as one unfolds into many, and each, each it, it, you get air coming into an engine, for example, it gets, it gets manifolded out to each cylinder separately. So we are the manifold wisdom. There is one God, and God is, it says in John 1, 4, 16, God is is love. So his manifold wisdom of that is God is love. We get to show that in one, two, three, four, 200 different ways. The manifold goes out specifically for each one. There's specific grace given, which is a manifestation of the wisdom of God, of this love of God. So each of us is uniquely different, but together we are one. And when we come together, remember what Jesus prayed, that they would be one and the world would know. That's the whole idea, the manifold wisdom of God. And so Paul realizes that people like you and I lose passion for that cause because we think, well, that's wonderful, but I've got bills to pay and family to look after, all that kind of stuff. And so in this era that we live in where there's endless choice, any moment we can get online and look at and, and whatever information we want or whatever our, our hobbies and, and games are or whatever it is, and people are, are encouraged to follow passion. But not all of us are passionate instinctively about this, this cause. Not all of us uh, live in that space because we lose focus on that. So what we tend to have, and you might hear this in the world and uh, you hear it in recruiting circles and such, that you, we are looking for people of, of passion, you know, people who, who understand and get excited about their stuff. But the presumption in our life, and most of us will do this, is that passion will direct your purpose because the saying goes, I'll only succeed at what I'm passionate about. And that is, that is sort of true. But we think that passion is the direction, it's, it's the rudder that guides what we should get involved in. Why? Because I'm passionate about that. But the reality is true passion comes from working towards something that I believe in and believe to be true. Passion is not the rudder. Passion is the fruit. Passion is the fruit of us dedicating and committing our lives to that which we believe in. It's an output, it's not an input. It's not, a, it's not the determinant of purpose. It's a result of us living in our purpose. So what we believe is important. I might believe sport is important. It is to a degree. But if I have nothing greater than that, I'm going to guide myself towards that one thing. 
If family is more important than this, oh, my passion will be for my family. Family is important, absolutely. But God is crystal clear. This purpose is eternal and it's more important. That's, that's rattling for me. I'm a family guy. Many of us here are, will do anything for our family, lay our lives down for our family. And God would say, yes, do that, but not at the expense of the greater purpose. It causes us to confront so much in our life. We believe that passion comes before action, but passion is an overflow of commitment. Simon Sinek, if you want to look this up, even in a secular sense, if you know, follow Simon Sinek's stuff, he's an insightful guy. He says, passion comes from working towards what we believe to be important. In his terminology, it's an output, not an input. And so we need to be really clear, as God's people, uh, what we believe to be important. So therefore, we get to the passage. So Paul says, for this reason, for that reason, I pray for you. Why? Because we're so distracted on every other thing. We're so drawn away from all the other stuff that the world tells us is absolutely vital for life. So he prays. What does he pray? Verse 16. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So that, and here's the end point, he's praying all of that so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Big stuff there. Incredibly important theme for our Christian life. But let's follow Paul's logic in there. He's saying we, we understand passion's coming from working towards something that we believe in. To believe, we must first experience and be rooted in that belief. He's saying there needs to be a grounding for this. It's not just about experience. It starts with the grounding because that, that power will come from when our soul gets it right and, and says, yes, I'm in for this. But once you experience his power, once you experience the reality of this eternal purpose, um, it changes your priority. Once you experience the reality of his love as it works out in people's lives, you can't unsee that. It, it's life-changing. It's life-altering. It's priority-setting, all this. But the reality is most of us aren't driven by a passion to have the church reveal God's nature. I mean, if I had did a poll on the way, and I, right out of 10, how passionate you feel about the church revealing God's nature, that's setting the agenda for your life. We'd probably all rate pretty mediocre there. I get it. That's why I'm bringing this message. That's, that's why I'm repeating the, the same, you know, Paul is writing us from prison and it echoes through time, straight into our hearts right now, it says, with this in mind, live a life worthy of this calling that we've received. But for most of us, it's just not what keeps us up at night. We, we're worrying about family. We're worrying about income and all the other stuff. And Paul seems to understand that, and he, and he sees a viable solution for it. He says, you need to experience, if you're going to stay on track to this priority, you need to experience the strength of God's power. So that's why he's praying. I'm praying for you. I can't teach you anymore. There's nothing more I can do for you, but I can pray for you about the most important thing, and that's that you would experience the strength of God's power and you'd have a revelation of his nature, of who he really is. Because if we can grasp an experience of the love of God, then we're going to replicate it, we're going to talk about it, we're going to reorder our life around it, and we individually will become the manifold wisdom of God, living it out in our context, in our worlds, and all of that. You look at the alternative, and it's unthinkable. 
the alternative is unthinkable. It's that we'll be far from our best, we'll be living by obligation, we'll be living from duty, doing what we feel like we have to do, we'll be lukewarm, as this church at Ephesus became in the end, lukewarm. And Jesus himself saying, look, if, unless you guys can get full of the Spirit, I'm going to need to give this lamp to someone else who gets it, you know. And so this became their story. So let's, let's dig in and see how we can make this a reality. My question is, as I, as I read this, just from my own heart this week, is what's my response to that? What's my response to this priority? It's all right for me to be able to give, give the content. But what do I do with that? I've heard it before. You've heard it before. You've heard this scripture before. What do we do? In, what, what's a, a valid response? Is it just to say, I get that. Got it. Thanks. Not sure what to do with that. Ultimately, that normally becomes our experience. I know, because it's easy to preach it. It's much more um, infiltrating into your life to change your life, to fit in with it. The scriptural hope as a response, once the process has been taken, that we'll be filled to the measure of God's fullness, Paul says. Filled to the measure of God's fullness. And people have all sorts of definitions of what on earth that means. Uh, but if we just take the scripture to be filled with the fullness of God. I wonder what your imagination dreams that would be. Does that mean I'm still me, but it's just I'm aware of God? Does it mean I'm become someone weird? Uh, does, I mean, more uh, heavenly focused and no earthly good? What, what does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? Well, think of Jesus. He was filled to the fullness of God. He was, and he was amazing. It's just it's being who God has called you to be. It's who Jesus would be if Jesus was you. We don't have to become like who he was. We become who Jesus would be if Jesus was you. That's the most uh, profound definition I've ever found on the meaning of discipleship, to take a journey to being who Jesus would be if Jesus was you. If he had to go into your work cubicle on a Monday morning, if he had to deal with your school or your kids, what would Jesus do in that situation? From the scripture, it means that we know something more profound than what knowledge can understand. It means that I receive strength through God's power, that I'm, I'm doing manifestly with my life on a day-to-day basis more than what my flesh can summon up. If I have the gift of wisdom, I'm wiser than what my rationale could consider. It means that my logic for life, my rationale is rooted in love. It's embedded in this fact of love, that God is love. It's that it's true, and it's so true, everything else of my life, the whole tree and branches of my life come from this rootedness in the fact that God is love. Everything he does is motivated by love. Everything he gives me comes from love. And therefore, I'm able to grasp it. That's Paul's prayer, that you would be able to understand that. I just wonder, and I have to do a a reassessment all the time on this because I preach about it all the time. Am I grasping God's love? No way near what I think is potentially possible. No way near it. But I want to be on that journey. And that's all God would ask of us. He's not calling on perfection. He's calling you to be on the journey. But for those of us who aren't uh, experienced people, anyone here not an experienced person? It's like, mate, I'd rather have the rationale, thanks. Just give me the logic. Paul gets it. Paul's that guy. I'm sort of that guy. Um, Left brainer. Give me the formula. Plug it in. Give me a calculator. Give me a manifesto, something. As long as I don't have to have some experience, right? Well, Paul says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So the end point is this knowing beyond knowledge. 
And that word is gnosko. It's a, it's a knowledge based in experience, not just intellect. But it's not without intellect. True biblical knowledge is an experience and an understanding. It's both together, okay? So, but Paul gives us three steps for, the, for those who want the formula. Here it is. Be rooted and established, uh, which means I'm on a journey of the soul. To be rooted and established means that my logic, my worldview, my understanding, my, the beginnings of where I bounce off all that I'm going to do starts with the fact, the hardcore reality, the truth that's unchanging is that God is love and God is enough. I start everything from that point. I don't base it on what's happening around me, on all my failures and the failures of the people around me. I'm not basing it on circumstances or geopolitics or inflation or house prices. I'm basing it on the truth that God is love. Any one of us can do that. It's a decision. It's a spiritual discipline called faith, a spiritual discipline of belief that says, I choose to believe. That's all Jesus can ask of us. So we begin by being rooted, and we have from that we get this subsequent power from him, Paul says, to grasp it. So I set my mind up to believe it, that, I, that positions me to receive it and to know this love that's beyond all understanding. All right, let me drill down even more. Let's go there. So being established in love is rationale. So it's the logic on which my faith is based. So I sit back, I've done this illustration many times, I sit back and I look at that and I'm rooted and established in an engineering mindset that understands physics, action and reaction. That means if I press on that, the floor presses back and equilibrium states that I'm going to stay there. I have faith that's rooted and established in the laws of physics. I look at the design and I understand moments of inertia and I understand if I do a certain thing a certain way, this will establish, uh, I, can, I can have my faith on that. Right? So I'm rooted and established. Second phase is to grasp it. So I, I can grasp it and lean on it based on my understanding and know it's not going to fail me because I've done the math. Right? Now it's faith. It was understanding. Now it's faith. Okay, So that's, that's the journey in, in phase one. And I have power to grasp. It's a spiritual discipline. And what that means in other language that I form is not just, let's not talk about physics, let's talk about vessels. There's vessels. My faith is to create based on my understanding, that knowing that I don't have any love of any worth in me. It's very limited, very frail. It's not going to pull it off. It's not going to do what I need to do. So what do I do? I, I make my life into a vessel that can contain in faith the love that only God can give me. My role is to create the vessel, create my life into a jar that can receive in faith what God's going to give me. So I think on love so that one day I'll know it when I experience it. That spiritual discipline is to do what love requires, to, to believe what love would believe in faith that God's going to give me the love to actually do what I need to do. And the, the last point of, that, point of that then is to know this love. So when God fills the jar, you know it. You know it. You know, when God gives you an experience of love, uh, it overflows. And it doesn't have to look like gushy, gushy. Um, you've got to act like some whimsical. Some of us love that stuff. I'm an engineer, mechanical guy. So this has got to be, you know, what's love look like? I do stuff. I do what matters. You give your life over for what matters. Not based on a feeling, but based on raw logic and the power that God gives you. That sometimes it has to look like that. God uses whatever personality profile that he's given you. It just looks like you, but more of you with God's help. But the bigger the jar that we make with our life, the bigger the vessel we, we create through spiritual disciplines, the, the more 
a capacity we build in our life for him to fill, the more he's going to fill it. That just seems to be one of the principles of God. The more room we make in our life for God to do what only he can do, the more he does. When did Jesus stop making wine in, uh, in John chapter 1? When there were no more jars to fill. When Elijah was filling, you know, when they were filling oil into the jars, when did the oil stop? When there were no more jars to fill. This is a spiritual principle in God. The more room you make for God to work and, and not do the job for him, but you make space for him, the more he fills. There's faith in creating jars of our life. So Paul concludes in verse 20, because of all that, now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us. So we are the jar. We can't do much. He can do anything. But it's according to his power that's at work within me, within my jar of my life. To him with the glory, which is the goal after all, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's like, eh, amen. So the more, the more power that's within us, the bigger the jar, the more it is filled. And the more we grow in the discipline of, of rooting ourselves in his love, the greater the power that begins. Power that's at work in us. I love messing with people um, and just, just confounding their mind. I, 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 I get the honour to uh, facilitate some uh, master's level leadership training from ACOM College now and again. And there's a, a module that we did not long ago called Strategic Thinking and Planning. And the idea is to teach all these pastors and, and people how to come out with a strat plan, you know. And think about it. And uh, what we do in strat plans normally is we there's a thing called leading and lagging goals, right? A, a lagging goal means if, if we do all this, the, the the KPI that comes out of that is there's going to be X amount of widgets that we make, or there's so many people coming to our church. Or so. It's a it's a lagging goal. It's a result. It's a fruit of what we do. So what we do in in strategic planning often is to set KPIs. Here's what it's going to look like when it all goes really well. Uh, we'll have all these lagging goals. It, it's all going to come out really well. And so all these people come into this module assuming I'm going to teach them how to set KPIs. But now I'll start with this. Now to him he was able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. So whatever plan that we make is going to be completely inadequate because God wants to do more than that. So how do you plan around the fact that you're working with a God who wants to do more than you can plan for? How do we do that? What's our role as Christian leaders? How do you, how do you make a plan that has no limits to it? It's all about Leading goals. Remember when Paul says, you know, I plant the seed, Apollos waters the seed, it's God who makes it grow. He's talking about leading goals in our life. So the leading goal is I do this, he does that, but God does all this. And, and the result is up to him. Whatever the lagging indicators are, it's God's responsibility. Mine is to be who I'm designed to be and to put inputs into the system, you know, plant the seed, water it, whoever I am. And it's up to God what happens. And that's how you do strategic planning with God. It's a completely different idea. It's all about we do what we are able to do, what we're responsible to do with who God has made us to be in the context that he's put us. That's our goal. Our missional moment, our, our life lived on mission is to be wherever you are placed at this time and be God's person inputting who God's made you to be and leaving the fruit to God. It's a much better way to think. You're not responsible for what happens. God is. You're responsible for what you can do in that whole scenario. So how do we begin? How do we prioritise this greatest priority? Most of us run out of enthusiasm because our mind is distracted on the things that are at hand. I understand that. 
uh, the invisible stuff and the important stuff that comes out of blurs our vision. This is why Paul says, be rooted and established in love. He's saying, think about it. Live by it, by choice. Believe in it. Create this jar of your life that God can fill. And it can begin as simply as just in your quiet times, tomorrow morning. If I get time, I'll write a morning devotion for us and just remind us, what's my response to this? Because I want to I want to see God do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. That's, that matters to me, that he's revealed, the goodness of God is revealed. What do I do? Start with my quiet time Monday morning. And I suggest read the Gospels. Read the book of Acts. But get a vision for what God's vision is. Get a vision of who Jesus is, what what who he was, what mattered to him. And I read it over and over now, and I've been doing it for 40-odd years now. As I read it, I've, I've been able to just, what's he saying? What's he prioritizing? What's he doing? And it's actually really simple. We make it really complicated. He calls us to live by faith. Really simple. He calls us to follow him, live by faith, and follow him. And if we do that, we live in freedom. Three things. All the Gospels. This is the priority of God that we live in this very simple way that's far from being simplistic but it brings the kingdom result. So read the Gospels and get a vision of what's important to Jesus, what matters, who he is. Is he, is he love? Is that what I'm seeing? And let it soak into your being so that it be, you become rooted and established in that love. And then from that, will become it'll, it'll force the next question. Answer one question and it'll always lead to another one. You get to consider your life and how it can be formed as a response to this truth. And this might be a process if you're married, for example. You might need to go through a process like this and talk it through and set aside some time once a week to say, is our life reflecting this greatest of priorities? Do, do, is what we're doing and what we're spending and, and what we're prioritizing and the people that we meet with, the ambitions that drive my life, are they in alignment with this truth that I exist to display the manifest glory of God in my life? Because, And here's the danger, and, and I just want to flag it without any judgment at all, if, if we dwell in this, if, our, if the truth is rooted in our life and we, and we go beyond the point of, got that, if we don't live in accordance with that, we're going to have an internal problem. There's going to be a grind begin to happen to you. It's going to be a challenge because our life is not living in complete congruence with the truth. And that's where we quoted this a few weeks back in my previous message, the leaven of the Pharisees begins to sneak in. And the leaven of Pharisees, Jesus said, is hypocrisy. It says, I, I know the truth, and I talk about the truth, and I expect it from everybody else, but I know my life isn't living parallel to that. It's, it's, it's out of sync with that. So we've got to be very careful, because if, if we believe this, this, this will have to change our life, unless you're Jesus and it's all fully happening for you. God love you for that. So if you want to be free of that, we need to live in accordance with belief and purpose. So my, my prayer is... As, the guy with the microphone, is, is for us to be bigger jars, as big as we possibly can be, for more and more filling. And so at, at some point, we've got to put our money and our time and our horsepower where our mouth is with this. You know, we can't, I can't just talk about this because that's inadequate. And it's malpractice on my part to expect you to jump just because I've told you what to do. A role of a church is to create a jar, to create a framework in which God can do in you what we could never do in our own strength. These church services, for example, are, are a jar. It's a place that we create where uh, we can do nothing for you. The ministry team can do nothing but create a space that you can meet with God and he can do in you what, what we can't figure out. And we see that week in, week out. And so we, ha we had to really do this with our church and, and I, I feel like it's time and, and uh, circumstances 
have, have made a way for us to do this. There's been great doors begin to open. But we're going to be kicking off in 2023 uh, a thing I've called Connexa College. Now, you've, you've heard me talk about this thing called Connexa a few times. Connexa is, is sort of the umbrella idea above what is Kenmore Church. Because Kenmore Church is a church. But one day we're, we're prayerful that God's going to help us start other churches. But we don't want them to be known as a branch of Kenmore Church. They need to be their own identity. But they need to come under the governance structure and have all the resources of what we've become so grown as. So we're, just, we're creating this structure that allows us to grow with, without limit, a scalable version of kingdom. But one of the main requirements of that is that you have an incubator of growth that is more than just intellectual transfer. It's whole person transformation. That means that there's going to be good content. There needs to be relational cohorts. There needs to be stretching experiences. And there needs to be a genuine experience individually of God's grace in our life continually and momentarily with incredible spikes that can come. And so our role is to create a space for that. And so we're calling this Connexa College. And the Lord's opened some uh, really good doors for us with um, Australian College of Ministries, which we've been talking to for quite some time, to partner with them in that. So that we can provide academic streams that have fee help and uh, all, that, all that sort of access that you can give. But besides that, we have this other idea called Formation Year. And I'll get you just to put the, uh, the, the web domain up on... Um, I, got that, I got that domain. Like, I'm a domain junkie. Um, some people love to do things. I love to buy web domains, URLs. I've got, I think, 40. It's wrong. Some people have shoes. I have web domains. <laughs> so if I have a good idea, I just my first thought is, oh, how do I make this happen? My first idea is, can I get the URL for that? You know? Formation year was there, .com, of all things. Grab that sucker, and .com.au, but we'll only talk about .com. So formationyear.com leads you to a page on our Connexa College website, and you can start to see that we've, this is incredibly unfinished business for me. I've been wanting to get to this for six or seven years now, where we don't just do short courses, that we do a full year of transformation for people. Not those who are going into ministry necessarily, but for those who just want to live their life and know what God's calling in their life is, to be able to live with him closely, to know what it's like to overcome and live in freedom, to get a grasp, what is my mission? What is God's overall purpose? To examine scripture and see the great redemptive themes through history, to understand spiritual disciplines and, and learn how to get the rhythms of life and grace working in my life, and to come out the other side of all that with a pretty clear compass because God won't give you a roadmap in life. He doesn't work that way. What he does is form you to create a compass so that you know which way to go based on who he's called you to be. Because God's calling in your life is not what you do, it's who you are. And wherever you are, you're going to take it with you. You are the calling. And so formation year is just going to be a year-long experience where we take people in and it'll run in similar formats to what we're doing with uh, the courses we do now. Weekly group meetings, uh, drip-fed content, um, retreats. Uh, it's going to be a whole person experience. And it's not going to be free. It's going to cost. I have no idea what yet, but I'm still working that out. But it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a commitment. It's, I'm setting aside a whole year in my part-time, still working, still doing family, still doing the stuff, but I'm, I'm dedicating a year of my life for God to form me so I can just sanctify that year and learn this stuff and grow and change and come out the other end knowing with full confidence who God is, rooted and established in love and clear on my purpose and why I live. So you don't have to get blown around all the time going, what's God's will for my life? Where do I fit into this? So I'm, as you can see, incredibly excited about this. It's just been way too long coming. When we started this church, uh, God's uh, word to me very clearly was, I've been on a journey for 15 years. That was uh, three and a half years ago. 
This church is the next step of that, and this is the next step of that calling, and that is to, to release people into the world uh, that are fully equipped and understand who they are, rooted and established in love with an experience of God, working in God's power and um, uh, living from that for the rest of their lives. So I'm pretty excited about that. And so if you want to check that out, there's on that page, um, there's a, a show interest, register your, your interest thing. Uh, you can click on that and, and that puts you on a list and we'll let you know as things develop. But that'll be starting early February 2023. And we're going to open it up statewide. There'll be people from all over doing that, God willing. Um, I think it's going to change our region. I, I'm, I think it's just going to go off. It's going to be fantastic. I would do it. Right? I think I will. I'll write it, then I'll do it. <laughs> no, it's going to be fantastic. So why don't we come before God now? Why don't we just come and just get, let's land this. Let's just get very real with who we are. We'll just close our eyes and, and just come before Him. We can't do anything in our own strength. Lord, we can't even obey you in our own strength. We've got nothing. Nothing of worth. It was true in the Old Testament. It's still true now. We are nothing without you providing. You are enough. And so, Lord, we come to you now and we just really recognize that um, we can do this thing in our own steam, but it's going to be completely inadequate. So, Father, what we need is faith. What we need to do is believe that you're good and that you are, you are love. So I guess my challenging question right now is, what is your response to this? Do you believe it? That's the first thing. Do you believe that God is love? Does your life reflect that? Because circumstances probably haven't if you're connecting circumstances to the nature of God. You can't do that. That, that. that equation is invalid. Your circumstances are not a reflection of the nature of God. His spirit within you is. The life of Jesus is. And he said we're going to have trouble. That means our relationships are going to be really hard. That means we're going to be misunderstood and misrepresented. You're going to be in positions where you can't defend yourself and people will think things of you that aren't true. It means that your job's not going to work out all the time, that you may lose money, that you, ha- you won't sell your house when the market's up and, and buy when the market's down. It's going to mean chaos and things happen in your life just like they happen to everybody else. They are not a reflection of the truth that God is love and he wants to work out his eternal purpose right through that mess. Do you believe it? God is love. If you don't, let's ask the question now. Father, is there a lie that I'm believing about you? Some of us are rooted in fear. I just right away, I just sense uh, popping up through the room. There's something that we're afraid of. And 1 John 4 says that there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear comes from discipline, punishment. It comes because you're afraid there's going to be repercussions of getting it wrong. So, Father, we want to counter fear right now of faith. We choose to believe that the thing that we fear the most, loneliness, death, poverty, redundancy, being misunderstood and not liked, we have faith that you are enough for us. That even if that were to happen, even if the worst thing we can imagine were to happen, you are still enough and we can still have praise and joy for you. We can still overcome. We choose to reject fear and we choose to believe. Father, will you give us the power to believe? Will you release faith in this room? 
Mm, nej, men. nej, men. 